0: For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The comedian Jack Benny once said, uh, My wife Mary and I have been married for 47 years, and not once have we had an, an argument serious enough to consider divorce. Murder, yeah, but divorce never. Um... The view on marriage in the last few decades has really taken a pretty dramatic shift. In fact, uh, I've heard of some marriage vows that that used to traditionally always be for as long as we both shall live. Sometimes those are tweaked slightly to say for as long as we both shall love. Uh, I I know someone in my family, actually, who um, they'd gotten married and I think it was like two weeks later, something blew up and uh, they split and the, um, the groom uh, sort of was, was telling somebody in my family, uh, you know, I, I didn't think we were going to be married for 20 years, but I thought it would be longer than two weeks, which makes me shake my head and go, you didn't think you'd be married for 20 years? Then what were you doing? Um, marriage has become uh, this, this uh, institution of convenience. For as long as it suits me, it's really about happiness and, and sentimentality, about this, this nice pretty thing, tradition, um, whatever it is. And, and, and as, much as, as much as the view of marriage has changed in the last couple of decades in so many different ways, um, it's always, there's always been a struggle with it. And we're going to see all the way back at the time of Jesus, um, divorce and marriage were, were, were a hot, hotly debated topic as well. Um, We're going to pick up the text here in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away to Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Um, The Pharisees are once again trying to trap Jesus. This was a a hotly debated topic, and they really wanted to try and catch Jesus. alienating one group or another. Right? We can't do this in one swoop, so let's at least alienate him from one group and we'll chip out away him that way. Another thing they may have been doing is trying to, to get him in trouble in bad standing with Herod and Herodias. Remember, John the Baptist had, uh, had confronted Herod and Herodias and ended up with John the Baptist being beheaded. Maybe they were hoping that Jesus was going to suffer the same fate as the Baptist. So uh, in, in this day and age, uh, so first century uh, Jerusalem, there were two schools of thought around divorce. And this is, this is the debate at the time the Pharisees are trying to engage Jesus in. Um, and they come out of Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, Moses says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Uh, And then she departs out of his house. Then he goes on to talk about different regulations and stipulations. But this is the passage that they were debating. Um, Obviously, Moses sets up this idea of divorce, but he says, um, if he finds in her an indecency. And so the debate, as most of the the Pharisee kind of debates were all about the interpretation of these Old Testament things, what does indecency mean? And so there were raging debates. There were two schools of uh, of thought. One, One was the school of Hillel, and one was the school of Shammai. Uh, and so the school of Shammai said that a man may not divorce his wife unless she has found unchastity. He has found unchastity in her. And, and so it's about a serious transgression. This, 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 this sort of indignancy that we see in Deuteronomy is a major deal. And so only for a major deal can, can, can a husband divorce his wife. Um, the school of Hillel went the other way. Uh, he said, He may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. Um, in fact, uh, one rabbi, Rabbi Akiba, said even if he found another fairer than she—that's the indecency of, of even if she burned a meal, you burn the dinner. That's a right. I can divorce you, and that's that's the debate that was going on uh, at the time. And so you can see that a marriage wasn't hasn't always been this this cherished institution. That there was still this the struggle around divorce, even at the time of Jesus. Um, it was all about for for the question. It was all about how serious does this transgression need to be? So they're trying to trap Jesus. In verse four, he answered, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh.' Jesus doesn't actually answer the question. He goes back to the original intent of marriage, which is Genesis two twenty four he doesn't wanna talk about the constraints, he wants to talk about the intention of it, that that there's something spiritual that God has ordained in marriage, about two becoming one flesh. Uh, Verse six, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Um, Jesus is trying to say that divorce was never the original intent, Um, that before sin had corrupted it, it was a man and a woman coming together Forever in in one flesh, becoming one entity, so to speak. And then sin has come in and corrupted that which God has made good. Verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Uh, I think it's a little bit telling of their heart there. Uh, It wasn't a command that Moses gave them. Um, It was never a commandment. It was just... um, Worst case scenario, uh, if this thing falls apart, there there is sort of concessions that are made. Um, They say that it was a command. Verse 8, he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus is saying that sin has broken relationships Um, and that god has provided divorce uh in those cases where the brokenness results uh the brokenness results is sort of of the curse of sin um where there's irreparable damage where there there is unrepairable relational damage and jesus says jesus says here that the only time that that he thinks it should be considered is in the case of sexual infidelity and because uh, theologically we see that it corrupts the one flesh that, that there's a corruption of that original intent Verse 10, the disciples said to him, if such is the case uh, of man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Uh, And so I think, again, you really can see how pervasive this struggle was at the time where the disciples go, what? That's the only case you can divorce? Well, then it's probably better just not to get married at all. And I think it's a little hyperbolic, but you can, I think, see how frivolous it sounds like divorce may have been at the time. And and Jesus is also, I think, here trying to protect uh, women. Uh, because in that day women had very little legal standing, and they relied upon their husbands to provide for them. Um, and so, a divorce for simply, you know, the husband finding a wife that he, a woman that he likes more, or for the burning of a dinner, and for any of these things, there was there's a real vulnerability um, in, in wives at the time for women. And Jesus is giving them protection and security. Um, but he said to them, "Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given." But there are eunuchs who have been uh, so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made, uh, have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able uh, to receive, receive this. Uh, and so uh, a eunuch is one who is celibate, and so Jesus is saying, hey, some, some are forced into this. Uh, into celibacy, into singleness, and there are others who choose it voluntarily. That's not a voluntary um, castration, it's a voluntary celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. And even that one statement from Jesus, that, that for the sake of the kingdom one can be voluntarily celibate, kind of flies in the face of our culture today, which says that, that sex is the meaning of life, and without it you're depriving yourself, and um, flies in the face of that. Verse 13, then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. We've seen before uh, about the importance of children in the kingdom and, and child likeness. And we see that the Pharisees, the, these religious leaders, the important people come to him, and Jesus dismisses them. He doesn't really have time for them, but he has time for children. Um, and so it shows this bit of... Uh, of Jesus's heart, um, we see the Bible outlines uh, marriage as a, as a covenant. Marriage is a covenant of mutual submission that bears witness to the love that Christ has for His church. This this mutual submission of headship, but also submission and authority, and and and, and it's sort of this this amazing picture of, of Jesus as the head of the church and the church's submission, but the love, the self-sacrificial love that Christ has. For the church, mutual submission and covenant faithfulness. That no matter what, there is a faithfulness, a stick-to-itiveness. And in, in, in marriage is supposed to um, be an image of the love that God has for His church. That, that covenant connection, leading, loving, sacrificing, forgiving. Um, we've taken our responsibility to bear the image of our Creator and to bear witness to His love and His faithfulness. And we've turned it, we've turned this this institution, this image that God has given to us and made it about whatever works for me, that it's just about me and my own sentimentality and how I feel, which is really the exact opposite of what it's supposed to represent, which is a covenant saying, listen, even if I don't like you right now, we are committed, that we are connected, that we are committed to this and we're going to make it work. If I have to surrender my vision of what it's going to be, if I have to surrender my rights in order to love you and to 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 meet your needs, then that's what I need to do. And when both people do that, it can be a beautiful, beautiful picture of the way that God loves his church. And and the commitment, the marriage, is is the cementing of that covenant, even when emotions aren't readily there. And so I struggled with what to do with Jesus' teaching here on divorce. I could get into sort of the theology of it. Um, I could get into my own personal story, uh, which most of you probably know. Um, but the passage itself isn't actually about really divorce. That's not really what's going on. It's really about the Pharisees trying to focus on loopholes instead of instead of the point, instead of, of the, the ordination of the institution itself. They're trying to find ways out and loopholes, and they're debating it. And, and marriage itself is really, I mean, it's been twisted into this thing, it's about making me happy, but it's not about making us happy. Biblically, we see that it's about making us Holy and those things that that gnaw at you from your spouse that drive you nuts that maybe God has intentionally put those there to try and refine you, to chip away impurities in your life. That your marriage is not about making you happy. And if we're focused on that, we're missing the point of the covenant, missing the point of it. That that it exists two people together who aren't perfect, people who are both sinners, who both need work, who are chipping away at each other, making each other more holy. And we miss the point when we, when we, again, go, how close to the line can we get? Or, or what are the excuses? How can I get out of this? Jesus you're missing the point if that's what you're focused on. Uh, and so very practically, um, when it comes to a, a passage on marriage, uh, on avoiding divorce, what's some practical takeaways? Something very practical that that I stumbled across this week in in studying statistics is it can be really difficult to predict couples who will last versus couples who won't. The numbers are kind of all over the map. But there's one statistic I found that that does correlate, and it's, it's how spouses talk to each other. So study was done on newlyweds, those who endured versus those who didn't. And there was a correlation where for those who endured uh, decades later, um, that five out of every 100 comments made about each other were put down. So five out out of 100 comments about your spouse were put-downs, those were those who endured. For those who would later split, they found that in newlyweds it was 10 out of every 100 comments were insults or put-downs. And what happens over time is that gap magnifies so that over the following decade until couples are, are headed down ill, we're flinging five times as many cruel and invading comments at each other as other couples who endured. And so there's this correlation about how spouses speak to and about each other, about this resentment, about hostility. Hostile put-downs act as a cancerous cell that, if unchecked, erode the relationship over time. And so, practical, is how do you speak about your spouse? How many out of a hundred comments about them, how many are positive and how many are negative? And has a direct correlation on the enduring legacy of your marriage. Check your words. I came across this quote that I really liked, that a good marriage is one where each partner secretly, and perhaps not so secretly, suspects that the, they got the better deal. A good marriage is one where each partner secretly suspects they got the better deal. And you, you think about the way that those couples talk about their spouses. Those, those are important factors in avoiding divorce. And so make a conscious choice today to speak well of your spouse. Examine your words. How do you talk about them? What do you say to them? How many of them are negative? How many of them are critical? Make a conscious decision to start speaking more positively. Um, And you should be careful criticizing your spouse's choices because remember, you're one of them. Let me pray. God, help us to... um, Help us to focus on the intent of things in our lives, like marriage. The purpose and the intent of of, of not being about us at all, but being about you and about being a witness to the world of the love that you have for your church, the faithfulness, the covenant faithfulness you have to us. Not about emotional sentimentality. And so with our marriages, God, I pray that we would surrender them to you and not look for um, what are the ways that we can get out, but rather come back to the the, the created intent of laying down our lives for the other in order to build them up and see them succeed and help us help us spouses to watch our words, to choose our words carefully and to, to use grace and to use kindness to build each other up. And I pray that perhaps even today that in some couples that are struggling listening to this, that that conscious effort, that conscious choice of speaking positively and not negatively, God, would begin to turn the tide We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. We love you. Uh, We're with you. We're for you. Let us know if there's anything we do to help. Um, Give us a call. Talk to you soon.